The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Today we are starting a new series, a two-part series, The Living King. And um, this season in the life of the church is, is known as the Easter season. It's the, it's the season of Christ's passion and, you know, suffering. And it's not just about the passion and suffering of Christ. It's about the resurrection of, of Jesus. And that's why we are here today. That's why we are we're seated here this morning. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. And we will um, take our text from Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Now, today is known in Christendom as um, Palm Sunday. Praise the Lord. Um, even though we don't have palm, palm funds, and, uh, funds and all that, you know, but today is, is the day that set aside to mark the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and, and all that. So we take our reading, Matthew 21, from verse 1 to 11, and we go from there. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount, Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead, go into the village over there. He said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with his colt beside it. Untie them, that is the donkey and the young donkey, and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord has need of them. The Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. I will say, your king. He's humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Colt. Then two disciples, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, Jesus, and they cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center. Jesus was where? Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna, that is praise God. Hosanna for the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. 
The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. He created commotion. Who is this? They asked. Verse 11. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I pray in the name of Jesus that God will do such a mighty work in your life that there will be an uproar. And people will say, Who is this? And they say, It's, it's, it's the daughter of Jesus, or it's the son of Jesus, the prophet from Galilee, Nazareth. Oh, Nazareth in Galilee, sorry. Now, how would you respond if you had two cars? You have a brand new car and one that you've been using for a while. And someone comes and says, Jesus says I should bring your car. In fact, you didn't, this is you ask. Just go there and drive, bring the car, the cars. And if anybody asks you, tell them, the Lord has need, I mean, who does that? It's easy to look at this and, and say, okay, yeah, it's Jesus. You know what? I mean, he, he sent his disciples, go and bring those two donkeys. And if anyone asks you, why are you taking the donkeys? Are you stealing them? Tell them that the Lord has need of the donkeys. And the person will let you. And that was exactly what happened. Who is able to make such a demand? Apart from the owner of the heavens and the earth. The creator of the donkey and the owner of the donkeys. Praise the name of the Lord. You see, I'm excited because if God has need of you, no one can lay hold on you. If, if God has need of you, <laughs> there's no generational curse that can tie you down. Jesus is saying, let him go. I have need of him. Let her go. I have need of her. The question is, does the Lord have need of you? Are you useful to God? Are you useful to God? If you are, if you are useful to God, you are, you are breaking free. You are breaking free because the Lord has need. Need of you. And you know, every time we come to Palm Sunday, it's very interesting because to me, because when we, when we um, got this land, it was a day after a Palm Sunday. We had a meeting with the, with the former owner of the land and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the man, good guy, I mean, and he, he was like, you know, uh, I mean, long story short, at some point in the conversation, in the negotiation, I stopped and I looked at him and I said to him, the Lord, because I remembered my sermon, I said to him, the Lord has need of this land. And the man stopped and said, that was exactly what was preached in my church. <laughs> Long story short, 
the Lord has taken possession of the land. <laughs> there are things that you need to get out of here today and look those things in the eye and say to them that the Lord has need of you. For some of us, we need to look at our spouse. For some of us, we need to look at our children. For some of us, we need to look at our, our finances and, and say, the Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of you. And the Lord we are talking about is the living king, is the resurrected Christ. In fact, resurrection is what makes the difference. Resurrection is what makes Jesus the living king. It is the resurrection that makes Jesus the living king. Resurrection. It's resurrection that separates Christianity from every other religion. It's the resurrection. What separates Christianity from Buddhism? What separates... Because sometimes there seems to be confu- confusion. Says, oh, we are all serving the same God. And thank God for everybody that is a Buddhist. I mean, thank God for them. God loves you. What separates Christianity from from Judaism? What separates Christianity from Islam? It's simple. The main figure of Buddhism is dead and is thrown, sorry, is tomb, is burial ground, is still with us. The main figure of Judaism is dead. The main figure of Islam is dead. The main figure of Christianity is alive. <laughs> Jesus is alive. That, you see, if you, if you look at Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Acts 1 3, the, the word of God says that during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved, and we're going to be looking at that a lot next week, and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and talked to them about the kingdom. He talked to them. He proved that he was alive. Imagine what was happening in 40 days, these 40 days between um, resurrection and, you know, then, then the Pentecost. They would just be walking and Jesus would show up. They would just be eating and Jesus would show up. And the resurrection, it's it's a reminder to us that Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is is not a philosophy. It is not not a philosophy. It is not, oh, um, this is our way of thinking. Christianity is, is, is not, it's more than a philosophy. Christianity is, is not about a holy place that you visit. It's not about having pilgrimage. That's, <laughs> Christianity is not about So to say you want to build a church that will become um, the pilgrimage of Christianity, you are missing the point. That's not what Jesus is about. Christianity is not about philosophy Christianity is not about a holy land for pilgrimage. Christianity is about a person, and that person is Jesus, 
the son of the living God. That's what Christianity is about. So the Christianity is about a person. It's about a person. If you look at verse 9 of Matthew 21, Matthew 21, 9, it says, Jesus was where? At the center of the procession. Jesus was at the center of the procession. What is at the center of the procession of your life? What is at the center of your life? What is at the center of your life? If it's not Jesus, you need to realign it today. What is at the center of your life? What is at the center of of your home? What is at the center of your business? What is at the center of your finances? What is at the center? What's at the center of your life? Jesus, thank you, was in the center. (laughs) He was right in the center. The, the, The procession was speaking prophetically. You know, for some people, it's their parents that is at the center of their lives. For some people, it's their bishop that is at the center of their lives. For some people, it's their pastor that is at the center of their lives. For some people, it's their um, government that is at the center of their lives. But for us, it is Jesus that is at the center of our lives. Praise the name of the Lord. So who is at the center of your life? Who is at the center of your life? Who is that person that if he's not present, your life is meaningless? Who is that person? For some people, it's their wives. For some people, it's their husbands. They have no bearing without their husband. They are confused. Some people are confused without their wives. They are just, there's no, there's no direction. But that's not what God wants for you. Thank God for your wives. Thank God for your husband. But God wants Jesus to be the center. Everybody say center. Center of your lives. Center of your life. And when we look at the resurrection, as we look at this story, it teaches us two main things. For starters, next week, by the grace of God, we are going to delve um, further into the living king. Resurrection teaches us two main things. The resurrection makes it clear that, number one, God is in control. And number two, that God always keeps his promises. And if you miss anything, don't miss these two things. The message of the resurrection is clear that God is in control. Everyone say, God is in control. And number two, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. God always, always keeps his promises. Always. In Proverbs 16, verse 1, Proverbs 16, 1, the word of God says that we may, the living Bible says, we may make our plans, but what? But God has the last word. 
The earth is set for battle, but safety is the Lord's. Except the Lord builds the house, the labor in vain that builds it. God is in control. In fact, when you look at this story, before now, he said to them, go to that place, tell the owner of the house, the Lord is going to have last supper in your house. Imagine! Because God is in control. And the person just said, okay. He says, oh, okay, go to that village. Bring those two um, kete-kete, you know, donkeys. Because the Lord is in control. Everything we have in our possession, we are just uh, keepers. We are just stewards. Everything. Everything. Your husband, your wife, your children. You, your ch- yes, your children will grow up one day and tell you that, ah, daddy, I, I love this man. And you look at her, you're like, what do you know about love? <laughs> You've lived your life. Let me live my life. You are just a caretaker. Everything. Guess what? Didn't you do that to your parents too? Hey, now you, you told them to, to buzz off in a nice way. But the key thing is this. When you understand that God is in control, your life becomes effortless. Your life becomes effortless. What you own or don't own don't define you. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Your life becomes effortless. God is in control. In fact, if you look at the, the, the elders, they said that they were going to kill Jesus. And they, they took Jesus, they killed him, not knowing that God is in control. Even though Jesus was being flogged, God was in control. Jesus was being humiliated. Did God lose control? God was in control. Jesus was on the cross. Eloi, 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 God was in control. Jesus died on the cross. God was in control. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. God was in control. God did not gain control when Jesus resurrected. God was in control all along. The challenge with us is that when we go through stuff, we think, where is God in all this? Oh, God has lost control. Finally. At least. <laughs> at least on this matter. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, relax. God is in control. Relax. Oh, God, calm down. Calm down. You know, in 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 2.8, thank you. He says, but the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of the glorious Lord. If they had understood it, they don't, they didn't know. They didn't know. God all along is in control. Even every detail, God is in control. We try to convince ourselves that God was not in control when we were in Gethsemane. We try to convince ourselves that God was not in control when we are in Golgotha, we are facing the cross. When we are being whipped, 
when we have been humiliated, we, 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 we lose every sense of peace as if God is not in control. But God is saying to you today, I'm in control. God is in control. So how come you don't worry? Because by the grace of God, I don't worry. I think I don't worry. I strategize, I don't worry. <laughs> How are you able to do it? It's simple. Because I know that God, everybody say God, is in control. God is in control. There are no mistakes. God is in control. If there are mistakes, he's in control. When Pilate wrote down Jesus, the king of the Jews. And the elders came and said, no, it's not our king that Pilate should write Jesus, the one that said, I am the king of the Jews. You know, when they crucified people, they put their, their offense on their head. You know? So, for the thieves, they will put, uh, they will put their name and they will put thief. For murderers, they put their name, they will put murderer. For Jesus, they put his name and they said king of the Jews. And the elder said to Pilate, change it. This man is not the king of the Jews. Change it to, he claimed he was king of the Jews. That was why we are killing him. Pilate says, no, I have written it that he is the king of the Jews. What is written is written. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. They say change. He says, I won't change it because what is written is written. Even in that, God was in control. God was in control. Jesus was going to be nailed to the cross, and God wanted it that when they lift up his, his, his accusation, when they lift up his title. When they lift up the banner over him, it will, be, it will not be Jesus the murderer. It will not be Jesus the thief. It will not be Jesus the blasphemer. It will not be Jesus the one that claimed he was the king. It will be Jesus the king of the Jews. The living king, the king of the Jews. When it's all said and done, Your life will be as God wants it described. When it's all said and done, your life will not be as your cousin wants it described. Your life will not be as the, your, your mother-in-law wants it described. Your life will be as what? As God wants it described. And you see, a major lesson of life you and I must learn is that most of the major things in life are outside of our control. So when you wrestle with this concept of God is in control, it doesn't even make sense because most of the major things in life, they are outside of our control. Where you were born, who were your parents, did you choose them? Where you were born, did you choose? How many people chose to be born in Nigeria? Okay, 
coming again. If there's anything like that. <laughs> Let's assume you had the chance to choose. How many people here would choose to be born in Nigeria of today? As today is. Okay, you see? It's 2%. Some people are, they are busy writing. <laughs> you know, we don't choose. We don't choose. The major things, the big things, we don't even choose them. We don't choose our race. We don't choose our talents. You don't choose what you are gifted with. You don't choose it. You can be from now till tomorrow. You cannot choose your talent. If you can't run, you can't run. It's true. If you can't jump, you can't jump. If you can't sing, you can't sing. It's not by force to join the choir. Honestly, I mean, you, you didn't choose your talent. <laughs> you don't choose your stature. If you are tall, you are tall. If you are short, you are short. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to stay away from trouble. myself an example. I chose to gain 8 kg. That one was my choice. If you are like this, you chose it. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I said I I, I don't want trouble this morning. (laughs) You can also do something about it. (laughs) You will Realize that the things that stress us up are when we worry about the things we can't even change. One of the major causes of stress is trying to control the uncontrollable. You can never have more than 24 hours in the day. Accept it. You can't make time slow down. You can't. The economy is not under your control. I'm sorry. Listen, even if you are the minister of finance, the economy is not under your control. It's not. Obviously, you will discover that there are things that are happening that you wish you could understand. Praise the name of the Lord. When you die, it's not under your control. So many things are just outside of our control. So why do we worry when God is in control? God is in control. God is in control. You can't control who likes you. Have you noticed? You can't control who likes you. You can't control who doesn't like you. Some people just don't like you. Why would you, excuse me, why would you worry about that? Why would you worry about who who likes you or who doesn't like you? You can't control it. Some people make themselves so sad because their neighbor doesn't like them. You don't like me? Big deal. Jesus loves you. 
<laughs> I, honestly, I don't give a damn. I said, well, shouldn't you worry people like you? Why? I don't want to die young. Some people, if they know that it bothers you that they don't like you, <laughs> they will use your eyes to see pepper. Certain things you can't force people. You can't change people. You can't change your wife. Don't kill yourself. You can't change your husband. He must change. Amen. There's only one person that can change him or her. It's God. You can't. So why worry about what you cannot change? There are things you can't, you can't just change them. That's how it is. That's how it's laid up. To be emotionally stable, you must accept and be settled that God is in control. If you don't accept it and it's settled, in fact, the first step to spiritual maturity is realizing that God is in control. That's the first step. All your responses in life is based on this understanding that God is in control. Or not. How you respond to crisis is based on this understanding if God is in control or not. And many times, we waste our time on the things we can't change. While we leave the only thing we can change unattended to. The only thing we can control is our response to things. You can't, res- you can't change who likes you or who doesn't like you. But you can change your response. Whether you will be happy or whether you will be sad, it is up to you. You can't change it. So, is the pressure at work God is in control? Is the pressure at home God is in control? Is the pressure on the economy God is in control? Ephesians 1.20 Ephesians 1.20 says, God's great power is available to us who believe in him. It is the same mighty power. Everyone say the same. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same mighty power. The power of resurrection that raised Christ from the dead is, is that half of that power is available to us. All of that power. Well, in fact, that's just if, if you just take that and begin to meditate on it as you go home, you'll be fine. If you just take that and just take it and just cuddle that scripture. Do you know how to cuddle a scripture? You cuddle the scripture and you, you just, you're lying down, you're, you know, cuddling the scriptures and you, you'll be fine. It is the same power, not diminished, not rationed. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. 
So when we say God is in control, it's not a, state, it's not a defeatist statement. It's a statement that is inked on the fact that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to me. The same is available to me. So why would I panic? So why do I feel so disillusioned? Why? Why? Because whenever we worry, we are saying we are in control. Just face it, that's the truth. Whenever you worry, you are saying you are in control. Whenever you worry about your life, you are saying you are in control of your life. If you are not in control of your life, then give that worry to the person that is in control of your life. I mean, is it really possible for a human being not to worry? Absolutely. But don't you ever catch yourself worrying? Of course I do. So what do I do? I redirect myself. I redirect myself. If you are panicking, it's proof that you are not praying. Enough. <laughs> if you are worrying, it's proof that you are not worshipping. Enough. Because... Worship magnifies God and minimizes the problem. So, what am I saying? When you start praying, you stop panicking. You stop panicking. When you start worshiping, you stop worrying. You actually stop worrying. And the word of God says, Isaiah 41 verse 10, don't worry. Because I am with you. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I will make you strong. I will help you. I will support you. What is out of control in your life today? What is out of control in your life today? Is it your finances? Your career? Is it your faith? Is it your health? Is it your relationships? God is saying, I am with you. I will make you strong. I will help you. I will support you. Take that thing. Area. Bring it before the Lord. Meditate on the scriptures. Bring it under the influence of the scriptures. And say, (laughs) God is with me. God will make me strong. God will help me. God will support me. That is how you break out. That's how you break out. So the first thing is God is in control. That's what the resurrection teaches us. The second thing is that is what God Amen. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Before Jesus came, God had promised from the garden. I'm sending a son from the seed of Adam. 
is going to bruise the head of the serpent. God promised centuries before Jesus came. God promised. So the resurrection was a fulfillment of God's promise. God has promised you loads and loads of things. But Pastor, I don't know what God has promised me or if he has promised me anything. Well, he has. It's in the Bible. You can make the promises of God in the Bible yours because they are yours. And guess what? There are a lot. How many promises is there in the Bible? Who wants to tell me? How many promises are in the Bible? 100, 200, 500, 600, 1,000, Over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Over 7,000. Just for you. Just for you. Over 7,000. Numbers 23. 19 says that God isn't like people. He doesn't change his mind. When he says something, he does it. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. God keeps his promises. When he makes them, he keeps them. Ignorance is what is robbing a lot of us of the fulfillment of God's promises. Ignorance, sometimes we don't take, like Pastor um, Reverend Doc was saying last week, we don't take action on the promise we don't act, and until you act, nothing happens. It's like having a check. You have the check in your name. The check is in your name. There's a, an amount on it. Okay, let's say your, your house rent. Let's say your house rent is a million. I don't know. And you have a check of a hundred million. And you, you look at it. You read it. You put it under your pillow. You sleep. You wake up, you read it, you put it in your handbag, you go to work. You come back, you read it, you have devotion, you sleep. When your rent is due, and you say, I know that I have a hundred million, does that pay your rent? It doesn't. It doesn't. You have to cash the check. You have to cash the check. You have to cash the check. And many times we don't, I mean, I want to encourage you to listen to last week's teaching. I mean, by Reverend Doc. We, don't, we miss the connections. We don't connect the dots. Until you cash the check, nothing happens. Until you cash the check, nothing happens. And God is saying to you and I that <laughs> I keep my promises. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. First Peter 1, 4-5 says that God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. Now, who has God reserved it for? 
That's a promise. That's just one promise. Eternal life. The priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you. And God will make sure. Who will make sure? God will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you have put your trust in Christ. Because you are trusting him. God has Take it back. Reserved it for his children. Just his children. So that's a promise. And that promise has nothing to do with people that are not God's children. If you are not God's children, you don't have eternal life. You're like, but pastor, are we not all God's children? Are all human beings not God's children? The answer is no. We are not all God's children. I mean, that just shocks some people. Say, yeah, I thought we were all God's children. No, we are not. Are we all God's creation? Yes, we are. We are all God's creation. Does God loves all of us? Yes, he does. God loves every human being on earth. But is every human being a child of God? No, they are not. So, how do you become a child of God? The word of God says in, first, in John 1, I think 14, it says, For as many as have received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. You have to receive him. You have to receive him. You have to receive him. I mean, that's just an example of the promise. You have to receive him. You have to receive him. If you don't receive him, you cannot become. And what will become? God wants us to be ambassadors for him. God wants us to be ambassadors for him. First Corinthians. First Corinthians. Sorry, Second Corinthians 5. 20. He says, so we are Christ ambassadors. We are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So, what am I saying? God is saying, you, my child, you are not just my child, you are my ambassador. And what you do is you reach out to people that are far away from me and bring them to me. That's what, that is our job. That's why we are here. We are to, regardless of your vocation, you have to reach out to people that are far from God and bring them to God. That is why we are here. Come and tell them, come back to God. Come back to God. So the question is, who are those that are close to you and far from God? God wants you to reach out and be the ambassador, be his representative and bring them back because people are searching. People are hungry. People are searching. This world, people, there's a void. People are really, really searching for more. People are searching for more. I mean, the internet is filled 
with people that want affirmation. People are searching for more. People, someone puts up a, a post. A teenager puts up a post. And nobody likes the post. And she's depressed. And she's crying. And the mom says, why are you crying? She says, nobody likes me. <laughs> nobody likes me. Says, why do you say nobody likes you? Further engagement. Because nobody likes your post doesn't mean nobody likes you. And the fact that you have connected your self-worth to social media shows that you are trying to feel what only God can feel with what man cannot feel. So when you put up a picture on Instagram and nobody likes it, do you feel depressed? People are searching for more and it's a pointer that there's a void in the heart and guess who can feel it? God. And guess who is going to make the connection? Who's going to help them? You and I. You know, when, when I, when I um, read this, or heard this, I was really surprised. The number one movie genre, genre in, in, in the U.S. by f- a huge margin what would you think? Romantic? Action? Thriller? Pardon? Comedy? I thought it would be. It's horror. By far. I'm particularly among the millennials and the generation, what they call Gen Z. Generation Z. <laughs> Among the millennials and the Gen Z, it's horror. And there are a lot of them. A lot of them. <laughs> Plenty. So, they just want horror. They want blood. They want the supernatural. They want ghosts. They want witchcraft. They want... Meanwhile, they will say, don't pray in, church, in, in schools. They will say, leave God out of it. You leave God out of it, the devil will feel it. So, we have a hunger. These people, when they say that, oh, Christianity is, 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 is outdated, I laugh, because you don't understand. They, this, there's a new generation of people, and they're looking for what you are not teaching them, and they're finding it in evil. They're saying, they know because they are spirits, every human being is a spirit, they know that there has to be more. They know there has to be more. So, they can't get it in the classrooms. They can't get it in the new, mainstream new, news media. Social media, they can't get it. Guess what? The supernatural shows up in horror movie. Boom! Everybody jumps on it. Huh. <laughs> it's even supernatural showing up in cartoons. You know, I, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm very, very vaguely. I think a poor little boy said, <laughs> did like this to me and says that I should change to a frog. He says, 
He says, ah, that I've not changed that. He's just changed me to a fraud. I said, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Frog. I am the son of the lion of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> because that child has watched that there's a magic wand. And he believes it. And he was practicalizing it on his pastor. There's a time in, in, the, U, in the U.S. Yeah, some, some years ago, where 39 people killed themselves. They willingly committed suicide. Why? They said they wanted to go and meet with some UFOs. That some UFOs have um, visited, and one of them had an encounter with the UFOs, and they said they need to meet at a supernatural level. So for that, they need to kill themselves. And this guy rallied 38 other young people and they killed themselves. Why? Because they wanted more. In fact, one of the, one of the ladies, a 31-year-old girl, woman, <laughs> that was part of the group, she did a video before she killed herself. This was what she said in the video. She said, maybe they are crazy for all I know. She says, but I don't have any choice but to go for it. I have been on this planet 31 years and there's nothing for me. So I said to myself, she was doing a video recording just before she cut up. If that's what it takes, it's better than being around here with absolutely nothing to do, and she took her life. People are disillusioned. People want more. People are craving. And God is saying to you and I, bring them to the living king. Bring them to Jesus. It cannot be business as usual. You cannot just go about. People are dying. Your next door neighbor is drugging himself to to sleep. And you don't care. You, you just want your breakthrough. God is not like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. God is not like that. What about she said again? The, the last bit. Since it's better than being around here with absolutely nothing. She had no purpose. I mean, if you're feeling that way this morning, God has got you here for a purpose. He's asked me to tell you that number one, he's in control. And number two, he keeps, he keeps his promises. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come. Are you tired? Worn out? Are you burnt out on religion. Come to me for real rest and you will discover, you recover your life and you will learn to live freely and lightly. You see, there is no problem in your life that Jesus cannot solve. 
There's no problem that Jesus cannot solve. There's no challenge you are facing through, you are going through, or you are facing in your life that Jesus cannot resolve. There's nothing that you are going through that Jesus cannot help you. Nothing. However, and this is where you have to get it. Jesus does not only want to solve your problems. Jesus wants to give you life. He doesn't just want to solve your problem. He wants to give you life. Now, if you look at the book of Job, for 40 chapters plus chapters, Job was asking questions. Job was complaining, asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. At the end, after 40 plus chapters of query, when God showed up, did you know that that, that, I was shocked? I, I read the book of Job. I read the book of Job, you know, I wasn't supposed to read it when we were growing up. But, but I read it. God did not answer a single question of Job. God did not answer Job. None of the questions of Job was answered. And I didn't understand why. But as I knew God, I understand why. God did not answer a single question of Job when God showed up. Because God himself is the answer. When we have questions and our hearts are, are burdened, you see, I don't know if that has happened to you before. It happens to me consistently. When you get into the presence of God, the problems are still there, but the questions are not there. I mean, you, you have the answer. We must love the answer more than the answers you are seeking. And for you and I today, you're sitting here today, I'm here to say to you categorically that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Your heart cry, your life questions, Jesus is the answer. We must love the answer more than we want the answers. We must want the healer more than we want the healings. We must want the deliverer more than, the, more than we want the deliverer. We must want the lover more than we want the loving. Uh, <laughs> We must love the lover more than we want the loving. You know, if you've been in, if you've been married or if you're in any relationship, you'll discover that when you love the person you're in a relationship with, your husband, your wife, and let's say your love language is acts of service. Maybe the man acts of service. He likes to be served. He feels loved when he's served. After a while, he begins to love the art of service more than the, the person self. So, so you will hear wife saying, Kuku, get yourself a house girl. Why it's like you are liking this. And sometimes when <laughs> let's say that um, I want to flip it now. <laughs> let's say that you know the the, the, the man um, 
maybe it's gifts that you have to find of the, of, of the lady. And, and gives gifts, it gives gifts, it gives gifts. After a while, if the lady is not careful, she will begin to like the gifts. More than the giver of the gifts. So, if the gift slows down, we must want the lover of our souls more than we want the lovings. We must want Jesus more than we want heaven. We must want the king more than we want the kingdom. That's it. I want to unpack that right now. (laughs) But you see, my challenge is this. You are my healer when I need healing. You are my vision in my darkness. You are my freedom when I'm in chains. So it's easy to want the freedom more than the freer. It's easy to want the healing more than the healer. Because we want to come out of our challenge. We want to come out of our predicament. But God is saying to you today, is it going to be me? Or is it going to be what I have to offer? You know, what has helped me, which I'm going to share with you, is this. It's a key. And the key is this. Always let who you know control how you feel. Don't let what you get or what you are going through or what is happening around you control how you feel. Let who you know control how you feel. So regardless of what is happening, who you know is constant. Job stood up and said, I know my Redeemer liveth. His wife says, curse God and die. Look at what you're going through. He says, I know. Who I know determine how I will feel. Praise the name of the Lord. Did we get that? Abraham. His son said to him, Father, here is the lamb. Here is the wood. Here is the, sorry, here is the, here is the altar. Here is the wood. Here is the fire. Where is the lamb? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself. Jehovah Jireh. He, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Abraham knew God would make a way even if it means raising this boy back from the dead. Let who you know determine how you feel. So the entire city said, 
verse 20, verse 11 of Matthew 21 that we read. The entire city said, who is this? And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The question to you is, who is he? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? So regardless of what you are going through, if you feel like that lady felt, what am I even here for? This 30 something odd years. What is it useful for? God has brought you here to tell you that number one, he's in control. God is in control. Everyone say God is in control. And number two, God always keeps his promises. Let's burn our hearts as we burn our heads. My God, you are good. My God, you are good. My God, you are good. You are good to me. You are so good. My God, God. you are good. You are good. My My God, God, you are good. My God, you are good. You are good to me.
our lives, my Father. And let your name and your name alone, alone be glorified. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we are praying.